So when I was a kid, I learned how to pray. And maybe you remember the prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And it was great because I had a habit of praying that at night until one day I thought about the words. Maybe you had that same experience. If I die, I don't want to die tonight. And I stopped praying that prayer and I started trying to figure out how to pray differently. And it's kind of like that as we grow, as we grow physically in maturity, but also in spiritual maturity, God reveals things to us. We learn different things and we change and we adjust. One of those other things, kind of like that prayer that changed in me was when I was a kid, you know, I thought God existed for me. He was there. You know, if I needed help, I could pray and he would hear me. I knew that. I knew he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for me and I could be forgiven of my sins and have eternal life with him. And it was really kind of all about me. And I remember, I don't remember exactly when, but I remember there being a shift at some point when I realized it's not about me, that, that God doesn't exist for me. He's not like this genie in a bottle. Although he is there for me, I exist for him. And that was a total shift in thinking that, that not I get to do whatever I want. I live my life. And when I need God, he's there, but rather God in his glory exists. And I am here for his glory. And that changes everything. It changes the entire way we look at life, the entire way we even read the Bible. And we're looking at that today because we're in our last week of a series, When God Moves. And that's the big idea today. I'm going to give it away and then you can fall asleep if you want. But when God moves, he gets the glory. When God moves, he is glorified. This is our third week. And we've been looking at this because we really believe that God wants to move in Carson City, Carson Valley. And, and it's not just words. We think God wants to move. There's signs of it. People are, in this room, God is moving through some of you. God is moving through other churches as well. God is starting to move. And so we're trying to figure out not to manipulate God, but what does it look like when God moves so that should he choose to move, we can be ready. Again, we're not trying to figure out a formula, you know, asking God to move. And if we do this and do that and do that, now we get to control what God does. But instead, God is the one in control but whenever he moves, there are some things that are similar. There are some things that are consistent when he moves in a mighty way. And we've been looking at the book of Acts, Acts chapters 1 and 2, and we're going to be in Acts 2 again this morning, seeing what happens. What is it like when God moves? And the first week we saw this, that when God moves, his people get desperate. When God moves, his people get desperate. And we saw that when the disciples, they watched Jesus ascend from the Mount of Olives, and they stood there in awe, just looking, gazing, until Jesus sent two angels down and said, get them to move on. So they come down, they go back into the city, and they immediately go to prayer. But we see some things in them in that. They wanted to be where Jesus was. They wanted to be close to Jesus. They were desperate for Jesus. They went back to the city. They went to prayer. They were desperate for him. And in desperation, they did the act of desperation, which is prayer. And so that's why the last two weeks, our application as we left was go pray. And I hope you've been praying along with me that God would move, that God would glorify himself and move through our city in a unique way. Now, last week we saw that when God moves, his word, his spirit through his word changes lives. When God moves, lives are changed from the inside out meaning marriages are healed, parent-child relationships get better, people beat their addictions, people glorify God more in their lives. When God moves, lives are changed. And he uses his spirit, and he uses his word. 
And that was the big emphasis last week is that any movement of God has to be in line with his word, but also empowered by the spirit. We don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit, afraid of what he might do, but we can be in line with his word, praying that he'll move. And then today, when God moves, his glory is made known in the church and in the city. When God moves, his glory is made known in the church and in the city. When God moves, it's ultimately about him. Now, I've shared the past couple of weeks, you know, why we would be desperate, why I am desperate for him to move. As I look at society and I look at what's going on in our world, I look at the way things are changing, you know, with our government, with, with uh, the sexual revolution going on, we need a change. And so we can be tempted to beg God to, to intervene, to do something for our benefit, which is great. That's fine. But also, is, is there part of us that wants him to glorify himself for himself? Not just for our benefit, but for his glory, because really that's the reason all of this is made for his glory. And so there's a little bit of a shift there in thinking that it's not just about us, although we want him to move for our benefit, but we want him to move for his glory. When he's glorified and you have nothing to do with it and you see it, does your heart swell? I hope so. Amen. Yeah, because it's about him. It's not about us. So when God moves, it's about his glory. And we've been praying for this, and we're going to continue to pray for this. But I wanted to start, before we look at Acts, I wanted to, to make sure we understand this point. You and I were made for the glory of God. That's why we started with that video, the video of creation. All of creation, including you, were made for the glory of God. And you were made unique. David writes in the, in the Psalms that he knitted you together in your mother's womb. He designed you, and he designed you for his glory. For his glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says this. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God says very clearly in that verse that he made us for his glory. For his glory. Now, if you're like me, you might think about that, and that sounds a little bit off. It sounds a little bit selfish on his part. But we need to understand that that for God to be glorified, he, his, it's about his glory. We're made for his glory, but we're not like slaves. We're not slaves abused for his glory. Rather, God's glory, this is a neat thing in scripture and in life. God is glorified most when he is benefiting his people. God is glorified most when he is redeeming men and women from their sin, from this world, and bringing them to him. That's what glorifies him the most. So when he is glorified, we reap the benefits of it. It's kind of neat how that goes together. But when God is working on behalf of his people, they're saved. He is glorified. This week, my, my personal reading, I was reading through uh, Genesis, Exodus, looking at, at Moses leading the people out of the Red Sea. And some of it is really boring, but some of it's really awesome. And I've been, I was reading where the Israelites, they came out of Egypt and they got to the Red Sea and it's there, you know, and they're trapped and they're whining about it. And God says, Moses, just go out, lift up your staff. And he does, and the sea parts. And, and, and all night long, a wind is blowing, parting the sea, and it dries up the ground so that the Israelites the next day walk across. They get to the other side. The, the Egyptians then, the army sees, and they're, we're going to do this, and they go across. But when they go across, the ocean comes in and kills them all. But through that whole story, it says over and over, for my glory. I'm leading them across for my glory. He, he, he hardened the hearts of the Egyptians that they would follow in for his glory. 
over and over and over. And it just stuck out to me as I read the story. This was all about God's glory. While he was redeeming and saving his people, he was being glorified. And part of it was then the stories were told. Because when this happened, the stories spread. Hey, watch out for these people. They've got a real God. If you remember the, the battle of Jericho, when they go in there, there was, there was one harlot in, in Jericho who had heard the stories of the God of Israel. And so when they sent spies and she protected the spies because she heard that is God's glory. As he saves his people, the word spreads, more are saved, and he gets the glory. Psalm 79.9, the psalmist writes this, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your namesake. Do you know the greatest act of God's glory ever? Jesus on the cross. You know the greatest thing that ever happened for you and me? Jesus on the cross. Jesus died to glorify the Father and to save us. It all goes together. It all runs together. In this Christmas season, we're celebrating Jesus coming as a baby, God becoming man to save us, yes, but for his glory. So now let's look at Acts. Let's look at this movement, this first great movement of the church where God uh, empowers his people with the Holy Spirit, Peter gets up, they start speaking in unknown languages, they preach, many are saved, 3,000 are saved that day. Within a couple of weeks, we know there was probably more like 10,000 saved, 5,000 men, which means women and children also. And now we're going to look at just two verses today, but we're going to look at the life of these new believers. Again, these are brand new believers in Jerusalem, living life. Let's look at this, Acts 2, 46 and 47. I'll start in 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When God moves, his glory is made known in the church through heartfelt praise by his people to God. What is, you see that in verse 47, they were praising God. We see they were getting together often. They were going to the temple to worship. They were getting together in homes and having meals and they were praising God. The word praise, I looked it up in Webster's. It says to express a favorable judgment of. That's what it means to praise, just to express a favorable judgment of. Parents, you, you probably are, hopefully, you're good at praising your kids. Uh, you, you praise something that they've done well. It, when, when we watch Kayla play basketball and after the game driving home, we want to tell her what she did well. Not just good job, but hey, you did really good when you knocked that girl down and ripped the ball out of her hands. That was awesome. <laughs> you know, but, but some specific praise or, or, or when Lydia and I build the tree house and she works all day working really hard and I praise, I say, man, you worked hard today. You did a good job lifting and, and you didn't get tired. You know, that's, that's praise, a, a, favorable, a favorable judgment of somebody. That's praise. And the word here used for praise is always used exclusively of God. So it's not the same praise as me praising my children. This praise is exclusively to God, but it has the same idea of expressing a favorable opinion of. It's pointing out good things about God. 
This is what this church was doing, this early church. They were talking all the time about God. They were telling God how great he was. They were telling each other how great God was. When God was moving, they would call somebody and tell them about it, or maybe not call, maybe walk over and knock on the door. But they were, they were talking about what God was doing. That is praise. That's why we sing. You know, I've, I've heard there's some churches that don't sing, and that's okay, that's their thing, but man, I love to sing. And I love to sing because I love to just, it, it helps me put words to how I'm feeling about God. And so he is glorified. As we sing those praises, it's about him. He's the audience. By the way, if you knew that, here when we worship, we're, we're not performers up here and you the audience. We're all the worshipers and God is the audience. And so as we sing praises, he's listening and he's glorified by that. That's why sometimes when we're singing songs about God, that's also glorifying to him because it's expressing what he's done. So it's okay to, to sing not just to God, but sing about God kind of to each other. But that's, that's to him, that's praise. That's why we do it. We're supposed to do that. And so a healthy church, a growing church, when God moves, his people praise him. They express a favorable judgment of him. They talk about it. And I think one of the things I, uh, stuck out to me some months ago, I was reading about praise or about encouraging somebody. And, and I think it was, a, it was a musician and he was writing about, you know, leading worship or whatever. And he came off the stage one and, and somebody said, man, that was good job. Yeah, I really liked it. Well, what specifically did you like? Uh, all of it. Praise is best when it's specific, isn't it? When somebody praises you and they point out the details, you know, they're paying attention. And I think that's kind of helpful. When we praise God, we just don't say, you know, God is good, although he is. But what specifically is God doing that you can praise him about? What specifically is he uniquely doing that you've seen? And are you telling others about it? That's what they were doing. They were praising God, expressing favorable to him, glorifying him, and telling each other about him. When God moves, his people praise him. And I think this is important for us to get. They didn't praise the preacher. They didn't praise the worship leaders. They didn't praise the building. They didn't praise the people. They praised God. It's a big deal. They did not attend here in Acts. These people didn't just attend a spiritual event. They had an encounter with God. Last week, uh, yeah, I think it was last week. In the last couple weeks, I was talking to somebody in the room back here, and, and they recently gave their life to Christ, and they were just talking about all the things God did. And what stuck out to me as I was talking to this individual, I didn't get permission, so I'm not going to share their name. But what stuck out to me is they said, you know, God put this person near me to share Christ. And God got the glory. He didn't say this family is awesome. What he said was God is awesome because he put this family here to impact me. He didn't say, you know, Derek, your teaching is amazing. But he said, God used you to teach me in a certain way. And so God got all the glory for it. And it was awesome for me to hear a new believer get it totally understand that God, it's, it's all him. It's all him. It's not about us. It's not about a church. It's about God. And notice this, their praise was continuous. They didn't wait for Sunday. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were getting together all the time. Now, realistically, that was a very different culture. They didn't have cars. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have, you know, they were a much more social culture, but they didn't wait till Sunday, day in and day out, going to work, all the things they were doing, praising God, talking about what he's doing. The praise was continuous. And notice this in verse 46. 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were praising God. They were getting together and their heart condition was glad and generous. I think that's important because what glorifies God most isn't our words, isn't our actions, but it's our heart that leads to the actions. You see it often in the Old Testament where in the Old Testament, I mean, almost all the prophets have to speak to this. They had a religion where they were supposed to do these certain things and and they were told by God to do these things. They were a way to worship. They were a way to, to glorify God, but they got into a habit of just doing the things and their hearts didn't belong to them. And the psalmist at one point, he says, you know, you don't delight in sacrifice. It's a broken and contrite heart. That's what you want. And God, in in one of the the prophets, he says, stop sacrificing. Cut it out. I don't want your dirty sacrifices. I want your hearts. And then it leads to the sacrifice. But these hearts were right. These hearts belonged to God, and it was resulting in the praise. Here's why I point that out. We can fake it in church, can't we? (laughs) Morgan, you're not faking it. <laughs> but we, we can. We can learn the right words. We, we can learn the right way to do things. But, but it's called putting on a mask, pretending. These people weren't pretending. And when you pretend, you can only pretend for so long. And it's not real. But God was moving. Hearts were changed. Lives were changed. And it was resulting in genuine, authentic praise, continuous, not faking it. Have you ever been with a group of Christians and you were just worried about saying the right thing. You're worried about looking the part. That's not the picture we get of this church. That's not the picture we get when God moves. I remember I was at a, an event at one point and, and there was somebody from church there at the event and they went, the pastor's here. Okay, and, and then I have to be really careful what I'm gonna say and what, you know, they had to live differently. Well, that's not the picture we have here. The picture we have is you're not worried about what you're doing, you're just doing and guess what? In a healthy church, when God is moving, there's a lot of grace for each other because guess what? You're messed up, and so am I. And we're, and we're in the path of getting better with God. We're right with God like that, but then there's this process of sanctification. And when God is moving, there's a lot of grace as other people are moving along that path at their own pace as God works on them. But when you're in that kind of group where God is moving, you don't feel judged, but yet they will lead you through. If there's sin in your life, a loving thing is to point it out and bring you through, but you don't feel condemned or judged. You're loved and then brought through. And that's the picture we see of this church. They were glad. They were generous. They were giving to one another. And they were praising, vocalizing this. The ESV Study Bible, which I like to use, says this under these verses. I thought it was great. It says, one of the characteristics of true revival is a desire to spend much time in worship. One of the characteristics of true revival is a desire to spend much time in worship. Do you love to worship? Do you love to talk about what God is doing? And you don't have to be a singer. You know, don't don't think this has to be, you got to go now learn guitar. But do you love to worship? Be there when others are singing. Talk about what God is doing, praising Him. So how is your praise? How is your worship? Is God moving? And are you telling people about it? So I'm going to do something weird right now. <laughs> it's normal. Um, I'm going to give a couple of you an opportunity right now. What has God been doing with you that you want to tell us about? Is there a way that you want to praise him just by pointing to something he's done? You don't have to. <laughs> 
Is the Holy Spirit pricking somebody's heart? Ah, oh, you should share, but I don't want to. Right in the back. Give us your name, please, and then tell us. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Carters. Anybody else? Over here, Linda. <laughs> I'm Linda. Yes, and um, we're new to the area, and God moved us here. He specifically gave us scripture, and God really moved us here. And um, a couple weeks ago in home group, um, he made an announcement about a youth, you know, someone new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. You know, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we were going to announce that at the end, but <laughs> Timothy Plummer, here's the Plummer family over here. So Timothy and Gina, will you stand up real quick? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're perfect. Because you, you know what, Linda? That's awesome. Because this is a praise. This is God's glory. You know, uh, Timothy and Gina were, they coached Lydia over here a couple years ago in soccer, and we just really got to love them. Their, their hearts for God, their hearts for what he would do. And now God is blessed that we're able to bring them on staff part-time to take care of our, our youth and kids. Um, so he's going to be taking over for Paul and for Jennifer um, and he's also going to be the, the FCA missionary in the schools in Carson City and Gardnerville. And so he's already doing a lot with that. But yeah, it's very exciting. So that's a praise to God. Just the way he put all that together for his glory to serve his people. Um, thank you. <laughs> so you see, God moves, we glorify him. He gets the credit. He gets the credit for who they are, what he's done through them, what he's already doing in the lives of some of our kids. God gets the glory. And uh, Mr. Carter back there mentioned something that is our next point. The praise that glorifies God is not dependent on circumstances. The praise that glorifies God is not dependent on circumstances. Because like he was saying, it was perfect. We tend to, things are good. I got a job, all this. Praise God. Praise him. Look at how, how good our food is, whatever. The house is great. But what about those valleys? What about when things aren't going well? And what we see is when God moves, he is glorified and praised despite circumstances because he has changed the heart of his people that it's not about them anymore, it's about him. In Acts 5, you see the disciples who are preaching Jesus. They're arrested for it. They're brought in. They're told, don't preach his name anymore. Don't talk about Jesus. They beat him and then they set him loose. 
They say, don't, don't talk about him anymore. They go away going, that was awesome. And they were praising God because they were counted worthy to suffer for him. In uh, Acts, 15, Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're on a missions trip. They're put in prison. They're put in the stocks, the inner prison. At midnight, they're singing uh, hymns to God, singing hymns of praise, it says to God. And everybody else in the prison is listening to that, going, what is up with those people? So the praise, when God moves, it's about him, and it's not about circumstances. It's not about circumstances. I had a, as I was studying this, a, a pastor told a story of when he was a kid. There was a, a lady that always sat in the back of the church, always wore all black, and she was always very stoic, very stern, kind of grumpy, and, and he was just kind of scared of her. Um, and one, one day he got up the nerve to ask a, another man in the church, like, what's her deal? And he's like, oh, she is really close to God. And, and he wrote that, he's like, something about that seemed off. Somebody really close to God, shouldn't they be full of joy and peace and, and maybe the fruit of the Spirit as described in Galatians rather than stern and grumpy? Uh, there's, there's a difference. When God is moving, his people are joyful. We get this picture of, of how these people are with gladness, with sincerity of heart, praising him, getting together, talking about what he's doing. When God moves, he's glorified in the church. But when God moves, when revival happens, it never stays within the walls of a church. If somebody's claiming God is moving, but it's just within a church, maybe it's the beginning of a movement, but it always spills out. Always, always, always. When God is moving, it spills out of the doors of the church. When God moves, his glory is made known in the city. Look at 247 with me. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. All the people, that, that is referring to all the people in the city. They were having favor with all the people. That, that word favor is charis. If you need a good name for a daughter, charis, that's a good one. It means grace. The, the people in the city had grace. Now, let's be completely honest. We know a lot of times when God moves, there isn't grace. I mean, there's, there's oppression as well. But the, that's not from everybody. A lot of the people here, they see what's going on and they have, there's a favorable opinion of these Christians. And this is what I, what I wrote in my notes as I was just thinking about this, that we should be the best employees, employers, citizens, neighbors, because God has changed us and we're different. I, I heard a story of uh, waiters in a certain city that they didn't want to work Sunday afternoon. They didn't want to be there Sunday at the lunch rush because that's when everybody came from church and went to the restaurants. And they said the Christians were the worst tippers. They were the most picky. They were the grumpiest people. And I thought, man, that's just not, it's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, I heard that. I'm like, oh, but yet we know often that's not the case. You know, it, it is the other way. Hearts are changed. We're the best tippers, right? Uh, we're we're the, the best employees. We don't slander our bosses. We're the best husbands and wives. When God moves, we are changed. We live differently, and we live differently and vocally in the city. They had favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. How did God do that? As we saw the very first week, that when God moves, he works through his people, not around them. I don't fully understand why God chose to do it that way, but he chose to use messed up people like you and me. He moves through his people, not around him. He moves through these people that he changed their hearts. They were full of joy and gladness and they were praising him, living differently. 
and talking about Jesus. And many were, they saw this community and they said, we want in. What do you guys have that we don't have? So, well, we have Jesus. And they got to share the gospel. And people were saved every single day in this movement of God. What made their community different? Was it their perfect biblical interpretation? Was it their stance on really important secondary doctrines? Was it that they sang all the new songs and they had a really good drummer? Was it that they had Awanas and all the best programs? What does Jesus say is going to set his people apart? John 13, 35. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love is what sets us apart. More specifically, it's the love of Jesus in and through us that sets us apart. And people will see that. It might take a long time. It might take a very long time. Some people will never respond, but they'll see that something was different. Look back at verses 44 and 45 with me. This is how they lived in their community. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were generous. 10,000 people within a couple weeks, and none of them were in need. And we know that when this happened, some lost their jobs because they became Christians. Some were kicked out of their families, but none were in need. That's the type of community. When God is moving, people are loving each other and others see and others want in. Your faith is personal, but it's never private. You get that? Your faith is very personal, but it's never private. We, we hear it all the time, you know, just live for God, but you don't actually have to say anything. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Live for God and speak for God. Speak Christ. Paul talks about this. That's what I do. I live and then I speak Christ every chance that I get. Peter explains it very well in 1 Peter 3.15. And Peter would know because Peter was the first leader of this church in Jerusalem. He was the one in this first movement that has all spread all the way to us. But he says this in 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. In your hearts, it begins with your heart condition. Honor Christ as Lord. Then you're going to live differently and people are going to go, what's up with you? And you're ready to go, well, what's up with me is that Jesus rocks. Jesus died on the cross for me since he saved me. It's not about what I do, it's about him. That's what happens. I had a friend recently tell a story of many years ago when his life was kind of in shambles and just things were happening, uh, you know, marriage issues, all kinds of issues. And his coworker was going through all the same things, similar things. And one day she turned to him and just said, what's different about you? You're going through the same things I'm going through, but yet you're happy all the time. And he said he got to share the difference between happiness and joy and why Jesus was the source of his joy not dependent on his circumstances. Now, she wasn't saved, but God was glorified. Does that make sense? He was faithful, living it, faithful to speak, and God was glorified. He'll handle the fruit of saving people. That's his business. But he's glorified when we are faithful. And he does this typically day to day through his people, not through organized outreach events. I think this is important. As you look at the early church, the people were, were changed and they lived differently. 
And they didn't set up these, these organized campaigns to go outreach. They just lived lives of it. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. It's not bad to organize some things. But there's a, a thing in the church where we, we tend to just wait for those events. And we think that that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We worship on Sunday. You know, we go to a Sunday school, a Bible study or whatever. And then when the church hosts these big events, we participate. When God moves, it doesn't happen through big events. Those can be part of it. When God moves, it happens through us where we live, work, and play. We're different, and we live different. That's what happens when God moves. It's up to us, just depending on God, letting him live in and through us. In Acts, we see one of these people. It says they were having favor with all the people, and they were being added to their number day day by day, those who were being saved. One of those men, his name was Philip. Philip was part of that. He saw what was happening. He got saved. When they had a need for people to serve, he was put forward as someone who could serve. He served uh, just handing out food. Uh, uh, Philip then began preaching. He was the first one to go to Samaria. Remember at the beginning of Acts? God said, Jesus says, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Guess who the first one to Samaria was? It wasn't one of the disciples. It was this guy, Philip. Philip goes to Samaria. And starts preaching. And many are saved. Then Philip happens to go. He obeys God. And he goes. And he's on this road. Just kind of walking along on this dirt road. A chariot comes by with an Ethiopian inside reading the book of Isaiah. Philip runs up next to it. And he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? He's like, how could I understand this? And somebody explains it. He's like, you want me to explain it? Climbed up in the chariot. Told him all about Jesus. How this Isaiah, the prophet, was telling about Jesus. And he says, well, I want to be saved. Can I get baptized? And I said, yeah, pull over. There's a puddle. Let's baptize you right there. That was the first convert in Africa. So, so one guy, one guy from the city, his life was changed and he lived differently. And because of this one guy, many lives were changed. And, and we can go throughout the Bible. We can go throughout history of just faithful people responding, living different, and God changing societies, God changing cities, God bringing many to him. And so the question I have is, Who's the next Philip? Is it one of us? Maybe it's the person in the cubicle next to you. And they're just waiting. God is just waiting for you to, sh- to share with that person. And they're going to be the next great missionary. Who knows what God's going to do? But when he moves, he moves through his people, not around them. When God moves, his glory is made known in the church and in the city. So what's our application? What do we do with this? I would ask this. How is your praise? How is your worship? Is worship part of your life? Speak, I mean, straight to God, privately, in time with God, but also publicly here. How is your worship? Is your heart belonging to God? If not, we need to go back to last week. Last week, we said when God moves, lives are changed, meaning we repent, we confess of our sins. If, if you're struggling with your worship, you need to go back to last week. You don't need to fake it or fabricate it, but you need to go to somebody and say, things aren't right with me, here's my sin. I confess it, I want to turn, I want to go with God. Then the Holy Spirit in you can move you to the next step of worship, worshiping well, but you have to deal with your sin. So that's last week. If you missed that, it's on the podcast, check it out. But it, it starts with us getting right with God, then through us, he moves it on. So this week we have on the back there a bunch of, bunch of cards. Not that one, these. Invite cards for Christmas. As Paul said, if you... Uh, Invite somebody and agree to host them as in meet them and, and, and help them feel comfortable coming in. Eight out of 10 would say yes. And guess what? Next Sunday, people are going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear what Jesus did for them coming as a man and dying on the cross for their sins. They're going to hear it. 
And who knows what God would do? When God moves, he moves through his people, not around him. Who knows? Maybe there's somebody right across the street, right in the cubicle next to you. Who knows? A, a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad that you just need to invite. You just need to bring, and God will handle it. God will, will speak into them. The Holy Spirit will move. God wants to move, but he moves through us. So maybe it starts with that, just inviting somebody. Or five. The, the packets there have five per packet. So invite five people next week and see what God would do. But I want us to understand this, that when God moves, it's about his glory. It's about his glory. It's not about us. It's not about our brand. It's not about promoting ourselves. It's all about God. So we're going to close here. We're, we're going to worship some more. We're going to sing praises. Uh, but during the first song, we're going to take communion. And we take communion every other week. The way we do it is if you're a believer, this is for believers only. If you're a believer, uh, spend a minute in prayer before you come up and take it. The music will be playing. Spend a minute uh, asking God to search your heart. Confess any sin that he brings to you. Um, and then come down the aisle here, grab the bread, grab the cup. You can take it in the corner here. You can go back to your seat. You can pray with somebody, whatever you want. Uh, but this is a time for us to respond in praise and worship. Jesus said that we take communion, the Lord's Supper. We do it until he comes again to remember what he did on the cross. So we're taking the bread and the cup, remembering that Jesus earned our salvation. He did it, not by any of our works, but he did it. And so this is what we do to worship. Now, over here in the corner, we have a new spot. This is our altar. Uh, but that's our spot where if you want to go spend time in prayer, you can go over there. You can get on your knees. There's a little basket. There's papers and pens. You can write down a prayer to God. You can write down a confession to God, fold it up, put it in there. But take this opportunity now for you to worship. Worship in heart, leading you to act in taking the Lord's Supper and going over here. Uh, David and Laura Manser are going to be over here. If you need to pray with somebody, you can pray with them. They're group leaders. If, you, if the Holy Spirit's pricking your heart and you've never given your life to him, let today be the day. Come over here, grab one of them and go, I need to know about how to be right with God. And they'll explain it to you and they'll lead you so that you can be right with God today, secure in your eternal salvation starting now. Let me pray. Father in heaven, all glory and praise and honor is yours. It is all about you. And I, I have to ask for your forgiveness when we make it about us. Forgive us when we lose sight of your glory. Forgive us when we get focused on our own uh, pleasures, our own appetites, um, the idols that so easily creep into our lives. Forgive us for that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir our hearts right now, that you would prick our hearts to adore you, to love you, and then respond in praise and worship. Thank you that we get to praise and worship you. Thank you that it's about you. And the correct order of things is that we glorify you. But I also thank you that when you're glorified, people are saved. You saved each of us. You saved me. I thank you for that. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that if there's anybody in this room this morning that needs to give their life to you, that you would stir them right now to do that, to come grab David or Laura, to pray with them, to give their lives to you. Be glorified now as we praise you in, in word and in heart. In Jesus' name, amen.